Good morning. Did you uh, do your Thanksgiving job and eat all the food that was on the table? Yeah. Let's pray. God, we want to uh, we want to honor you today. We are so grateful for so many things, and we just spent a weekend, uh, hopefully, Lord, looking at that, that we owe you so much gratitude. And quite honestly, Lord, we don't live that gratitude out well sometimes, a lot, really. So increase our, our awareness of who you are, who we are, and what you've done for us. We would live in gratitude. Help us, God, to love you with everything that we have and are. God, help us to be obedient in that love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, um, coming back from Kansas, or actually from Oklahoma, we went through Kansas. Um, uh, it's kind of like going through Samaria, I guess. You, you have to do that. And... Um, on the, I'm driving on the highway. This is an interstate highway, well-maintained, well-cared for, except for it's in Kansas. And so, to my amazement, as we're coming through, I think it was Burlington, um, the highway had a problem because the, the lines on the side of the highway were straight and true. But it was the dotted lines in the middle that had a problem. I think it must have become extremely windy there one day while they were painting them because they were like this. And so you'll enjoy driving down I-70 if you look for that. It's kind of like an obstacle course or maybe a defensive driving course, depending on who's in the vehicle next to you. And uh, But it got me thinking about some of the things that I've seen on the Internet uh, and you've probably gone on this chain before and looked it up. You had one job, right? My favorite image out of all of those that I've ever seen is the one where they were laying down this stripe, the yellow stripe right down the middle of the highway. Had one job. That's all they got to do, just straight and true right down. And so they did. This line was so straight and true. It went right over the dead possum lying right in the middle of the road favorite image of you just had one job and I think it's so characteristic of the way we tend to try to be Christians now let's back up just for a moment remember scripture teaches us that the church in Antioch those disciples were the first ones called Christians and it was it was on the receiving end it wasn't that they called themselves Christians but rather they were called Christians because apparently the way they were living was producing the effect that the people around them looked at them and said, you look like the Messiah. That's our one job. It's to let Christ show up in us so much. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works 
and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That they'd look at you and say, wow, that, that looks like Jesus. That's what we need to be as a church. That's what we need to be as individuals. And we get that from this statement that Jesus makes out of Matthew 22, which actually he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6. But I'd like for you to turn to Matthew 22. And, and let's look at our one job. Okay, two jobs. We have one job, but it's really two jobs. And if we'll look at these seriously this morning, I think we'll recognize that Christianity really is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. All right? James, you had one job. You just... <laughs> See, now he has to do that during the second service, too. (laughs) Love you, man. Matthew 22. Let's look at verse 34. Here's the situation. Jesus had been talking with the Sadducees, and they were arguing with Jesus about, well, it's ludicrous to think that you can actually live after you die, because what would that look like? And they gave them this straw woman, if you will, who was married to all these men, and so whose, husband, whose wife is she going to be when she gets to heaven? And Jesus makes this stark statement of, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And so much of the way we live wrongly is because we don't know the scriptures. We don't know God's word. We just sang about it. We sang about him. Or we don't know the power of God. We don't believe in it. So then on the heels of that, the Pharisees send in one of their lawyers, one of the doctors. He's got this scheme, and he's going to say, okay, let's test you. And so in verse 34 of Matthew 22, we read, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. It's interesting how people will gather against God consistently. All right. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. That was the purpose. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and uh, the great and first commandment. The second is like it. I didn't ask for the second commandment, Jesus. Don't you love it when God gives you, he always does, gives you more than you ask for? Yeah. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So much in there. And it's so simple. And so I thought we'd spend this morning looking at these two great commandments. So to begin with, he says, it's straightforward. You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart. Love the Lord your God. This is from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength or mind. And then Jesus builds on that, and he's basically saying, because he says all the law and the prophets hang on this, he's saying this covers all the Ten Commandments, 
that you're supposed to love God, but then the second half of the commandments are how you flesh that out, if you will. You have to love your neighbor. You have to love people. So he covers all of this. So the first part is to love God. And admittedly, we fail. Admittedly, we don't know how to do that. Admittedly, that's impossible. All right? For me to tell you to love God, well, let's, let's couch it in another term. If I tell you, um, love Kim Kaiser. I want you to love Kim Kaiser with everything you have and are. You're going to go, I don't even know what that means, Max. I don't even know who this Kim Kaiser is. Is Kim a guy Kim? Kim a girl Kim? Who is Kim? And why should I love her? You already have these questions. Well, let's be honest. We do that with God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay. I don't even know how to do that, Max. Is there a button or a crank? Maybe there's a crank. There's the love. Here it is, God. We don't know how to do that. We don't know what that means. And it begins because we don't know God. Any more than you know Kim Kaiser. But if I were to tell you about Kim Kaiser, or tell you that she's my cousin who is hilarious and loving and sharp and lived with my, uh, she was married to my cousin and she's now the widow. And my cousin was this godly man who was, also sharp and an engineer, and it, but he was still sharp, Isaiah. Uh, he was this man of God, knew God's word. He loved God's word. He, he was hard to live with, too. And Kim was married to him for all these years and, and just still has this delightful heart. Then you'd go, okay, maybe I could love somebody like that. But I still don't know her, Max. And it's the same with God. The two come together. To love God, you have to know God. And to know God, you will love him. And you, will have, you have to love him. So how does that happen? Well, Jesus made it real clear that nobody comes to the Father to God, except the Spirit draws him. Jesus also made it clear that nobody comes through the Father except for through him, through Jesus, who's the Son, the exact representation of him. That's what we sing about. He is the Word made flesh. He is all of God in bodily form, as Paul puts it. So you have to know him, but you have to go into knowing him and loving him through Jesus. And that's only done by faith. It's always done by faith. And it comes to this point of, as Jesus said, approaching God like a little kid. And for some of you today, you've not done that. You've, you might even say, well, I, I've known God all my life. But that's not true. Because the moment that you willfully sinned on top of your sin nature, you 
pronounced a division. You've rebelled against God and you have not known Him. It only comes as the Spirit gives you a spiritual birth. The same way your life with your parents and with people came as you experienced a physical birth. That's all from John 3. Those aren't my concepts. That's Jesus speaking there. And so you have to approach God in this place where you say, God, I I don't know you, but I want to. I don't love you, but I need to. Paul put it this way in Romans 10. He said that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means your boss, your owner, your provider, your protector, like a, a Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in, God, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in other words, that he really did die for your sins, he really was buried and dead for three days, and he raised to new life, to brand new life, to, to come out and say, I forgive you, and I'm the master over life and death, over all the universe. If you believe in your heart that God did that for you, through Christ, through Jesus, that you'll be saved. And so you go into this time where you say, God, I, I don't love you, I don't know you, but I need to and I want to. And I will declare to this world that you own me. You are my decision maker. You're my boss. You provide for me. You protect me. You're my Lord. And I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again. And I believe that you're preparing a place for me that you'll make me a brand new person and make me your child, and you will send your spirit to live in me. That's how simple it is, but that's the first way in which you come to understand what it means when he says to love God. He has to be your personal Lord. So when you've done that, and maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody's doing that right now. But when that is established, when Christ comes and makes you this new person, then you get to understand what it means to love God with all you have and are. So he says, first of all, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now that would mean all that's internal in you. That would be the way you think and the way you feel, basically. So the way you think, that would be the, the reasoning that you have. Here's how that, here's how that looks. It's, it's life with. If you invite me over for, for supper, uh, which I'm not suggesting. Yeah, I am. No, I'm not. But if you invite me over for supper and, and I come over for supper and we sit down and have a meal together, that's a great time. It would be for me probably be next to unbearable for you. But nonetheless, that would be one thing. But if you invite me over for supper and I show up with this, you're going to go, uh-oh. <laughs> he thinks he's staying overnight. 
<laughs> he brought his toiletry bag. Oh, no. That's one that, well, what if I show up at your house for dinner? <laughs> now you're going, I mean, right, mixed emotions. You're going, oh, I'm so happy for Lynn. <laughs> But you're going to go, oh, no, he's, he's playing on staying. Oh, but what if you hear the rumble of my truck and the horn? And <laughs> now you're going, oh. But see, God isn't asking for that. He's not asking for spend some time or really come stay with him or even move in. Thirty-eight years ago, my wife gave me this. Not this exact one. I've since lost several of them. But she gave me this. She said, Max, I don't want you just to come spend some time, stay with me or move in. I want you to love me for life. Because I love you and want to love you and spend my life with you. And that is what God is asking when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And when we start with the heart, he's talking about everything that's in you live in this commitment of love with him forever. So it's all your reasoning, and it fleshes out like this where now you're thinking, instead of making decisions, well, here's the pros and here's the cons, here's my list, here's all the mechanics, this is what my mom and dad would do. Instead of thinking through all of those things, you're now thinking, God, how do, how do I make this decision? What do I need to consider? What all's involved? What do you want? Show me from your word. So when you're loving God with all your heart, that includes your reasoning, your thinking. You're not approaching things. I mean, it can even come down to the point of, like this morning, and I know you think I'm loony already, but that's okay. God, which socks should I wear today? Now, you don't have to always get an answer from Scripture about which socks you're going to wear or which one you're going to put on first, right or left. But you ought to be living in such a way where you're talking to God while you're putting your socks on. That base level of love and of knowing Him. And you're questioning instead of going, God, I, I almost had a doubt there, God. Ooh, he would have lost me for sure if I had a doubt. You walk through those doubts with Him. God, I don't understand. How can you be God and let this happen? God, I don't understand. Why would you create that kind of person? Or God, why would you create me? What kind of... You talk with God through your doubts, through all your questions. Dr. Lionel Arnold at Oklahoma State University had great impact upon me. He was at one time um, a, a priest in a church and we had a discussion over a test question that involved me coming back to his office after class. And 
had this discussion. He said, Max, you will not remain a Christian, and you certainly will not remain a Baptist. And I said, why is that, Dr. Arnold? And he, he didn't so much shake me as much as he just, I couldn't believe somebody would actually say something like that. And he said, because you have far too many questions. And it was as if God spoke so clearly to me and to Dr. Arnold right there. And I, it wasn't because I thought this through. This was God speaking and he, he prompted me so that I said, Dr. Arnold, if God's not a big enough to, uh, God to answer any question that I have, then he's not God. <laughs> I believe in the God who answers the biggest question I can come up with, with a much bigger answer than I can understand. And Dr. Arnold looked at me like I have never even considered that. And I've lived with that increasing understanding of knowing what it means to love God with all my heart. It means I take those questions to Him. But it also means all you feel. All you think and all you feel, that's, that's this idea of the heart. The Hebrew word is labab. It's the inner man, the will, the heart. And the Greek word that's, that's translated here now that Matthew is writing down for us is, is this simple word, cardia. You know, those of you who are medical, you understand what it's talking about. It's talking about the inner person, the beat of the person. And so we're talking about the feelings as well, the emotions, the desires, and the dreams. If you can't take your emotions with God, then you're not loving God with all your heart. But Max, you don't understand. I get angry. And I can't bring that angry into the presence of God. Do you know your word? Do you read the Bible? Do you understand that God becomes extremely angry at sin and evil and wickedness and rebellion? The atrocities that we bring into humanity, He is angry. And see, you learn to bring your anger to God, and you will learn then to be angry about the things that God is angry about and at the people that He's angry at. And you will learn to deal righteously with your angry and with your anger, which means giving the judgment to God, but acting in holy ways and righteous ways, even while you are angry. Oh, but Max, I got some emotions where I seem like I'm all over the place. Sometimes people tell me to just get serious once in your life. You don't think joy is something that God likes and understands? Walk with Him in those emotions and you will be learning what it means to love God with all your heart. The second thing He says is with all your heart and with all your mind or your soul is another, is another translation. And this is the word, the Hebrew word of nefesh. It means uh, soul, a living being, life, self, person, the desires, the passions. So it's all, 
It's all intermingled, and that's why we find so many different words. In fact, Mark in his gospel brings four words. He, he uses the, the words heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we'll get into all of that. But it's, it, it's not that we need to divide and conquer all of these. Well, I've got to learn, first of all, learn to love God with my heart. Then I'll move to my, my soul or my mind, and then I'll move to my strength. No, it's all at once. It's all the same thing. Learning God, learning to love God with everything that you have and are. And so with all you are, we deal with this soul, this, your personality and your abilities. The way people know you to be, that's, that's what you love God with. So that they begin to know you not as uh, this, this teacher or this student or the neighbor that lives over there who seems to be kind of off his rocker or whatever. You love God with your personality, with your, with your abilities, with who you were known to be. That's the plumber. That's the driver. That's the, that you're known as the, that guy that loves God. That woman that has this deep relationship with God. Because your whole personality is built around the God that you know who lives inside you because he saved you through his son, Jesus. The next word is, ah, I love this word. In the, in the Hebrew, in Deuteronomy, it's this word, meod. And, and here in Matthew, we read about it as the mind. And it's, it's this word of your it carries the concept of using both hemispheres of your brain, side to side thinking. You're using everything you got up there. But in the Hebrew, it brings into this, this uh, concept, the, the picture that Mark would use then, this idea of strength, because it's, it's this word of this um, muchness. I really like that understanding. Your muchness, all your muchness, right? Uh, Some of you are going to go have some t-shirts made. We will be referring to you as your muchness, (laughs) you know? But that's what you bring to God. That's why you're to love him with all your muchness. That would include all your abilities, your resources, and your responsibilities, the things that you have to do here on earth, love God with those. You know, some of you don't like being the kid. Some of you don't like being the parent. Some of you don't like being the teacher or the student or the worker or the employer. Those are responsibilities that God has allowed you to be in. And those are responsibilities that you get to love God with. You know, wasn't too long ago, this football coach got canned because he was baptizing guys on his team. Well, you have to divide that. Can't bring your religion into your job. Well, that's not what Jesus says. He says, bring me into your job. You know, Paul tells us, whatever you're doing, do it with all your strength as unto the Lord. So, love God with everything you have, with all you are, with all you have, and with 
all you do internally, whether it's thinking or feeling. And that would be okay. I would love to just, just have that. You know, I, I can go with that. Get me an island away from everybody, and I'll just go there and live and love God with everything I have because you guys mess me up. Right? People are the problem. I can love God if he had, if he had just made me and nobody else. Well, that didn't even work back in Genesis 3, did it? No. And so Jesus states the obvious. There's a second command, guys. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. It would have been okay even if he just left it at that. Love the Lord your God with all you have and are in, in our inside and do. And then love your neighbor. As yourself. You had to go there. What in the world does that mean? Well, first of all, let's deal with the word love. Here, the word, you know, in the Greek, and, and I'm so glad this was written in the New Testament because in the Greek, you know, the different loves, there's the emotional feeling love, like I love my wife or I love apple pie. And it's that word uh, eros, erotic, the feeling love. And it's not the word here. It's not about feeling towards your neighbor. And, and then there's the word that Peter used when Jesus asked him, do you love me? He says, you know, I'm your friend, phileo. Um, I have this deep abiding commitment to you, this friendship. We're on good terms. It's not even that. That would be okay too. But no, he uses the word agape. I want you, he's saying, to love with a love that God has towards you. That's why Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. I'm going to let you sit on that all week. How much did Jesus love you? That's what he calls us to do. And so he uses the word agape. Love your neighbor, agape lover. Some, some people say agape because you spell it agape, like a wide open. Love, God, love people that way. That's, that's true. Some people say unconditionally. Well, that's not quite true because God loves very conditionally. Not in that he picks and chooses who he will love, but that he loves without a tolerance of sin. Okay? He deals with the sin, and he dealt with the sin in his son Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross. That's the kind of love that we deal with the sin that other people bring towards us in a righteous manner. Sacrificially, loving them knowing their sin, not discarding their sin, not disregarding it. But we love with agape love. And he says, as yourself. 
So let's address a couple of things here. First of all, you love yourself already. You do. Even, even if you're at a point where you're suicidal, and I've been there and I know what I'm talking about, even at that point, you're still doing that because you love yourself. That's a very self-directed, self-preserving uh, point of life you get to at that point. All right? It's self-focused so much. So Jesus is saying, love people as you love yourself, so let's deal with that. First of all, you love yourself, number one, already. So don't work on that. This lie that's gone around of, well, I've got to learn to love me before I can love others. No, you don't. You already do. All right? Secondly, that's not what Jesus said to do. He said, first of all, love God, and then love others. So work on your loving of God not your loving of self. Loving yourself, if you focus on that, it's going to take you down some deep, dark trenches that can be very difficult to get out of. That's where you become very much sociopathic and narcissistic. And we all love people like that, right? So don't focus on that. Don't believe that lie. So you love yourself already, but you also love yourself with self-preservation. You're very concerned with what's going to keep you alive or in good health or in good standing. Self-preservation. So Jesus is saying, love your neighbor that same way. Seek their preservation. Seek their protection. Their welfare. You love yourself with self-worth. You're, you're concerned about how you feel about yourself. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Do, do I matter? Do I count? Love people that way. Did, what are they worth? Why did God create them? Why are they here? Jesus is telling us to love people that way. And I know some of you are thinking, well, yeah, that only goes so far because I know some of those people. I don't have a clue as to why God put them here, and I don't think he should have. But he still tells you to love them. In fact, he went on in the Sermon on the Mount, beyond loving your neighbor, he said, love your enemies. Jesus just won't leave well enough alone, will he? He keeps messing with us. And I'm so thankful he does. Every day, every moment. You're concerned about self-satisfaction. Well, you know, I did a good job there. I'm satisfied with, with what I've done and who I am and where I am, this part of my journey. Love people that way. Love people. See, they did a good job there. That was, the, that was absolutely the best burglary I've ever seen. It was absolutely the best crime I've ever seen anybody do. That's not what I'm saying. But... Honestly, look at the things that people have done and find satisfaction. Help them find satisfaction for the purpose of leading them back to loving the Father. Don't be everybody's critic. You also love yourself quickly. Mm, I'm hungry. What's we got? What do we got? Love people that quickly. Wow, they're hungry. What do I got? They're sad. What can I do? 
You also love yourself actively. Here's food. I'm going to eat it. Love people that way. Actively. I have something that can help. I have something they need. Or I have something that would just be a blessing to them. Or I don't have anything. So I got words. And I'll talk to God about them. For them. I'll talk to them. I'll encourage them. But love them actively. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, and we like that one because we kind of feel like the Samaritan. But quite often, we're more like the priest or the Levite who walked on by. You know, oh, they're in that situation because they did that to themselves. They got some stuff to learn. And I'm not going to stand in the way of God teaching them that. Well, we need to be real careful about that. Sometimes that's true. But we also need to clean up their wounds, care for them. We need to recognize this, the people that we see that are our neighbors, just like the Samaritans saw that guy in the ditch. But it's also the people we know, right? Like I know Kim Kaiser. There are people that, you know, I don't know. And you have a responsibility and an obligation under this to fulfill the second great commandment. And as you do that, to fulfill the first great commandment and love the ones you know. Jesus said everything else is covered. Verse 40, on these two commandments depend or literally hang all the law and the prophets. It's this picture in this word of they just, they hang on the law and the prophets. They're, they're strung up and connected to and hanging off the law and the prophets. Or the vice versa, the prophets and the law are hanging off these two commandments. So that we know that the law is what you do and don't do. All right? So if, if you want to fulfill that part of your life and I want to not sin anymore or I want to do great things then love God and love your neighbor the prophets that's about being where the prophets are about I mean the law is about doing and not doing the prophets are about being all the prophets talked about how you're in this relationship with God and it's going badly or it's going well and God's going to do these things. It's all about these relationships that we have with God. And so we need to love God and love people with our relationship with God. And that all depends upon those two commands. So in conclusion, I have the same thing to say that this last year in our football practices and on the sidelines, we kept saying to our team, just do your job. Or do your jobs. You have two of them. What's the first one? Okay, let me ask it again. That's, you didn't know there was going to be an exam. There is a test. Here's the pop quiz. What's the first one? What's the second one? Okay, let's pray.